On this week's episode of the Indie Center Podcast, we sit down with actor and creator Marlon B. Cervellan. But before we get into that, a word from our sponsors. Episode number 19, I am here with a producer, actor, writer, Marlon B. Cervellan. How's it going, buddy? It's going good. So how did you get started into media? Um, well, first and foremost, uh, one thing I really need to say uh, very uh, assertively is that I love movies. I love movies ever since I earliest memories I could ever remember. Okay. I remember being really young and watching like, you know, the, the, the original Superman film or, mm. or Enter the Dragon or the Missing in Action or the Rambo film. Those, those are my earliest movies I remember watching. And we'd always like be reenacting scenes with my brothers and with the toys that we would have. Uh-huh. So I, I was always, even early then, thinking of like ideas to do for my own movies. Really? Like, I would come up with my own storylines with my toys or, like, writing out ideas. I'm like, oh, these are the actors I would get. These are the director I would choose. And what age is this? Young, young. This is, like, six, maybe five, or five, six, seven, around that age range. Really? So I was pretty young. I mean, like, the, the ver- I remember the very first time I went to the movie theater was to go see uh, Ninja Turtles. And it just changed my world forever. I was just so blown away when I saw that. And I actually saw that in El Salvador oh. when I was visiting relatives out there. Okay. So my very first movie theater experience was an international like, you know, movie theater. <laughs> um, I always wanted to do something uh, performance cre- creative-wise. Okay. But I was incredibly shy when I was younger. I think the, the only things I really did when I was younger was uh, I did a couple of school plays, but mm, little bit parts. Nothing did really... you play the tree? Is, is, was that your role, or what was your role? Um, I was in, what was it? I think it was Alice in Wonderland and The Nutcracker. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, I, had a, I was really overweight, young kid. Okay. And just a real quick story about that was that um, the, the suit, the outfit I was supposed to wear for one of those two plays, I don't remember which one it was, was too small for me so they had a custom make uh, uh an extra suit for for me to wear like you know like on stage <laughs> so my outfit was like a different colors from everyone else's so it just made me look kind of weird on stage i stood out and then um in high school is when i tried to dabble again trying to do something performance wise okay. i tried playing I did not have the balls to go out for drama. Like okay. I was very overweight. I had a lot of self-conscious like issues about yeah, that. Yeah. I was pushing like maybe 300 pounds back then. Holy shit! And uh, even then, I still tried to do other things. Like uh, I tried playing in bands, uh, being music. I, yeah, yeah. I was gonna be the singer. But it was like you know, like heavy metal like type bands, and like I could never get a functional lineup like you know to work. Yeah. And um, one of the guys actually in my production group right now is connected to one of the guys I used to jam with back in the day. Oh yeah. So it's kind of funny how those pieces still kind of connect to each other, even yeah. like going far back then. Um, never played a show, nothing. Every group I was in always fell apart. Okay. So you guys I, just basically practiced in the garage, and it just never. Yeah, we we, we had a few covers, a couple maybe little like half-assed originals. You know, nothing ever happened with that. It just it just died. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next thing I dabbled in was. Um, where I really felt comfortable was I had a broadcasting class. And uh, I was there with my, uh, my friend Matt, who's also helped out with production stuff even to this day. And I loved it. I loved the idea of like being told, like, all right, today you're going to come up with uh, your own like, uh, radio theater like the thing, uh, okay. play. 
and uh, you have to write a script. And if you wrote a script, and uh, we had a newscast show, uh, we had to do like our own little like improvisational things. Yeah. It was behind a curtain, so I felt more confident because I, I nobody really had to see me. Yeah. Because that was my first real taste of like I like this. This is really I feel comfortable doing something like this. Uh huh. And. Um, Nothing really came <laughs> after that. I just had fun that one semester doing that. And then it wasn't until, I'm going to say, my junior year of college when I went to Columbia where I actually, you know, got the balls to actually, like, I'm going to try an acting class. So I was studying something else. I'm like, I have some spare time, so I'm going to take a, a, some, some extra classes for fun, uh -huh. acting classes for fun. And it was just no match for what I was, for what I was studying originally. Like it just took over like my mind completely when I got into acting. I just, I just fell in love with it immediately. I was just like, it's it. It clicked. I was just, uh, I just gravitated so much towards it. Like uh, I was getting a lot of good notes from my teachers, uh, classmates. Would always comment, oh, you should keep going, keep going, keep trying. And um, I did get into one stage reading show that was there. Okay. And uh, it was a performance in front of a small audience or, or whatnot, but I still can say I was in a show, not an actual full-on show, but it was uh, a show, you know, for the it's most a part. theater, right? Yeah, it was okay. a stage theater show. And uh, it was one of the highlights of my life. You know, like I was one of the main actors, you know, and I had like three or four callbacks earlier that semester. Oh, nice. So I was just like, oh, I, I'm actually... I feel like I'm kind of good at something. Yeah, I bet that built your, your confidence. It right? did, a lot. I mean, you said you had confidence issues in the beginning and because of your weight, like, did that definitely help your image? Your oh, yeah. Image? By that point, I dropped considerable amount of weight. I lost almost like 100 pounds. Okay. And then uh, after, after college, I, I tried to continue with, uh, with acting. I went to... Uh, uh, a few classes at uh, Act One Studio in the city uh, that summer after I graduated. That's a whole other story in itself that didn't have the greatest of experiences there. Um, and then uh, I got into a couple of uh, community college shows. Uh -huh. And it's just, well, here's the thing with, uh, with acting. And I really, really, really have a lot of admiration and respect for people who continue to do it like as an actual profession. Uh -huh. It's tough, man. Oh, <laughs> and I'm yeah. sure you already know all this. I'm yeah. not saying anything new. Well, to the listeners, uh, they might not know. Well, here's the thing that I was getting frustrated with was you have to have the time available to audition mm -hmm. for the callback, for even the actual show. What if you have? I had a job. I was working. You know, yeah. like uh, I was working. I think at a at a bookstore at the time. I also worked at a couple other uh, different restaurants at the time. And it was also like it was also always. Um, uh, a struggle to be like, oh, I got to get this time off because I got to go for an audition for this. Like, yeah. oh, the, this is my rehearsal day, but I'm scheduled this day. I got to yeah. switch with someone. Oh, I got a call back. No, but I'm working that day. What do I do? Like, I can't just call off. I'm going to yeah, get yeah. fired. So little things like that started to get in the way. And then I kind of just, um, maybe I, I, I stopped a little too soon with it. But after about a couple years, I kind of just decided to, to put acting aside for a little while. It became too hectic for you? It became a little too hectic. It's trying to balance, like trying to go out to pursue that and maintain like, you know, working a job, paying bills, and also kind of wanting to go out and do my own thing, you know, travel and have fun and hang out with friends and family. Um, so I kind of put that aside for a little while. And now this is where the journey, the real story begins of how I got involved in media. Yeah, yeah. I was seeing that other people were doing their own thing. They were starting their own little production groups and like, you know, 
instead of waiting to be discovered or like waiting for Hollywood to come to them, why don't you just make your own Hollywood? Why don't you kind of, yeah, why don't you put yourself out there yourself, you know? How long ago did you have this epiphany? Uh, this was in, let's say 2009 okay. or 10 or so. 10, 9 years ago? Nine yeah, yeah, ago? about 10 years ago okay. is when it first started hitting me, like, hmm, I kind of do my own thing. So there's many sagas and many dramas that happened which led me to my current production group. Uh -huh. But I'll summarize this as best as I can. Uh, can't be here all night. <laughs> uh, I got involved in two different production groups. Okay. Uh, both of them were disasters. How so? Uh, the first one was someone that was introduced to me by another mutual friend. And this guy was like putting together his own production group. He heard that I was also trying to do something similar as well. So I teamed up with him. We uh, wrote one comedic skit. Uh, we got like three friends of ours to be in it. And then the day came to film, they all flaked out. And then uh, we, we hired these three actors who, uh -huh. you know, they, they were really cool, great guys, but like the, the chemistry just wasn't there for what we were looking for. Yeah, yeah. We filmed it anyways. And we're looking at the footage and we're just like, it's just not there. You to do shit. Exactly. And then, um, yeah, we kind of had a little bit of a falling out and that, that group just kind of just went nowhere, it just yeah, died. Yeah. And then shortly after that, I, I teamed up with uh, another guy and this production group that he was starting out was an even bigger disaster. And that's the saga upon saga upon saga. Like that, that, that whole situation cost me not just time, but like resources, energy, just yeah. like almost my sanity. Like there was so <laughs> much drama that went on with this particular character that I'm not gonna name right uh -huh. now. But um, yeah, I just was left extremely burned out <laughs> after the second production. We didn't even film anything. It was you just one out already. It was one false start after another. Like we would always try to start something, it wouldn't go nowhere. And then we'd try to start something else, it wouldn't go nowhere. And then he'd go off and do his own thing without telling me and like and then like try to get me involved, but like I had nothing to do with that and then that would turn into some big fiasco yeah, and yeah. it's like it just it was just one big mess. It was just one mess after another and then I just had to break it off. So you know. what was uh what was the experience like on the first fully functional set? independent set um my first experience on a fully functional set and i will continue on like and how, yeah. how i got started with like on my yeah. own group but like the, it's going to relate to it that yeah. my first impression was it's a lot of people here <laughs> like, what, was it independent or was it like on you know one of these independent shows? professional okay it was on the set of um a guy who uh he was also another filmmaker who uh, was very supportive of uh, my production group. Uh -huh. His name is uh, Tadeo Garcia. Okay. And uh, he's helped us out. He's like one of our cheerleaders, like, you know, from, from way back when. Uh -huh. And he invited me to be an extra on the set of the last movie that he did. And I remember just being in this place and I was just like seeing all the equipment that they had and like uh, there's so much personnel, so many cameras, so many like the people like uh, having a job to do. Yeah. And I'm just like, in my you know primitive mind because i didn't go to film school or nothing i'm just like this looks like overkill yeah like, this looks like so much and like for a scene that was only on screen for like 10 minutes or something we were there for like five five hours or so uh -huh. so i didn't understand like you know what it was but i, I would i would understand yeah. like why it was the way it was because pretty much the the, the crew and the, the process we have now is very similar to how 
it was when I saw that set. And um, pretty much uh, uh, how I got towards uh, to getting to a more professional one, first I had to start the Raven Roulette group, yeah, yeah. which instead of uh, me trying to wait look for someone else who has their thing going, I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to start my own, my own group. And that's when uh, I met my, uh, my production partner, who was the very first guy to join me, uh, Brian Strife. He's the director, editor, yeah. writer. Yeah, I, yeah. So we teamed up, and we're like, you know what? Let's, let's make our own stuff, man. Because he always wanted to work on things, but uh -huh. he had the similar problem I did, where like every time he would try to work with someone, it would go nowhere. So he was really fed up and frustrated himself with trying uh -huh. to find people. And so we, uh, we hit it off. We clicked. Uh, our ideas were very similar. And we're like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's, let's do our own thing, and we're going to do it. We, uh, we came up with this name. And yeah, how did we, it, how did you come up with that name? The name, I honestly, we kind of saw ourselves as underdogs. We wanted like a dark kind of name, so we wanted it to be Raven something, something Raven. Okay. And then like, I think we were driving one day, like uh, I think I was driving from work, and uh, I, I I think he mentioned something like I was like we're playing roulette with ourselves right now. What we're doing this? I'm like. Roulette, there you go, Raven Roulette, like, you uh -huh. know, like, uh, the two cool words, and they just blend them together, or something, it was just something stupid like that, it wasn't exactly a, well, a great, a great moment, it works, but, um, so we just bought a camera, uh -huh. and we ran with it. Okay, what and, was the first project you guys shot? Uh, the very first thing that we did, um, we tested the camera out and did this little, um, this little horror skit. Which actually turned out pretty cool for our very, very first thing. It doesn't exist anywhere. I think we got rid of it. But um, it was no sound. It was silent. Okay. It was just really cool and atmospheric that we shot in his house. The house that he lived in at the time was, it looked like the house of like a serial killer. Like it was like <laughs> a very ominous looking dark. I'm not kidding. The house was a character in itself. Uh -huh. And we filmed this little horror skit in there. And I thought it turned out good, but for whatever reason, it got lost somewhere. But the first real project we ever did was the, the first season of the, the State of Disgrace show. Really? That's the very first thing we ever the did. The very first thing you shot? The very first thing we actually completed from beginning to the end. And going back to what I said, we didn't, neither one of us went to film school. Like, I just had some acting experience, and he had a little bit of editing experience because he he'd worked with some music before. Uh -huh. He wanted to do music as well. Okay. And he put together little like homemade music videos on his own. So we just had that going for us, and we'd never written anything like like a sketch, like show sort of thing. Uh -huh. But like my way of thinking at the time was, we're we're a little up there with age, you know. Like rather than just like you know do something small, let's just try to go big. Like let's try to go big. Let's try to do like a show with multiple characters and episodes, and just try to go all out. Like you know, let's just try to make a big splash or uh -huh. whatnot. And he was just like. Um, sure you don't want to do something small man like it sounds like it's gonna be a lot of work uh, <laughs> it's like no we can do this like so like, that so that what, what was the inspiration for the entire series right because you you want to go big you want to go hard where the fuck did the name state of disgrace come from where did disgrace land come from um i pretty much knew that if it was going to be a show about multiple people i kind of wanted them to be involved in like very just like a group of friends is pretty much getting themselves into like you know trouble constantly bad situations you know and like and i was inspired by a lot of like humor from shows like 
Eastbound and Down, uh-huh. or um, uh, Workaholics, or uh, Trailer Park Boys. Uh-huh. So those are the kind of like you know shows and like, types of humor that I kind of wanted to, to do. And I wanted to have fun doing this as well. I knew I didn't want to do a drama. Nothing against dramas. Yeah. I wanted to do something that was going to be like comedic and fun, but like you know, not be afraid to make fools of ourselves at the same time. And we're like, oh, we have to also throw in dark stuff too. Had dark humor in there, you know. Like we we get involved with the cartel as well, <laughs> and like uh, people get killed in the show, and we have to like you know, constantly uh, get ourselves out of situations, and uh, even doing so gets us involved in another situation <laughs> on top of that. So the, the the very first season of the show, um, we filmed, and like the the biggest mistake that we did, because again we didn't go to film school, yeah. was we didn't use sound. We did not use external sound. Okay. We didn't know anything about how that worked. So how did you, because I have something to say about that, but how did you, how did you record sound? We just used the camera audio. Is that what it was? The first season, yes. You fucking blew my ear out in my car, you Uh. motherfucker. (laughs) I was listening to your, I was watching your show, because I have an hour commute every fucking day, hour Mm -hmm. and a half. I'm driving in my car, and I was like, you know what, let me start watching, you know, the series. So... First episode, I think something, somebody said something and just my fucking speakers almost blew up. Ah, right, right, right. Yeah, that so, sounds familiar. <laughs> How did you guys figure that out? All right, well, we were so far into the first season. <laughs> we were so far into the first season that we were just like, man, this sound sucks, bro. <laughs> we didn't know what to do. And then, like, he knew a little bit of, like, uh, uh, audio editing, yeah. but, like, it helped calm it down a little bit uh-huh. but like we were so far in we're just like fuck we just gotta be more careful and just like finish the whole thing well so. it's, it sounds way better now i mean you could tell that you guys were working on that well um what was i gonna say so we, we, we shot the first season and like there's so many stories about the first season like i, I told you we can't be, can't be here all night talking uh, about that but a blanket in my car just in case yeah we uh <laughs> we, we had a lot of fun with the, the first season. There's a bunch of characters. We met a lot of people. Uh, we learned very quickly. The, I think us wanting to do, try to do something bigger and with little experience, the good benefit of that was uh, we learned quickly what to do and what not to do. It was a great exercise in getting familiar with how to put something together at all. State of Disgrace season one. Great learning experience. Uh, but here's the thing. That, that I say, even with uh, with uh, uh, my buddy Brian, when we looked it over, yes, it's got a lot of problems. But like, if you you're patient with it and you give it a chance and you accept the flaws, like, there's a lot of good stuff there. There's, no, like, yeah. there's a lot of little good like situations, little jokes and humor that you can kind of pick up on. We're like, we haven't quite figured out the characters and the writing, but like, uh-huh. there's little glimpses of like, ah, uh, oh, that's kind of funny. Like, ah, oh, that's uh, yeah. You can kind of see there's a structure there. And, I mean, to, I'm I'm gonna say you did blow my ears out, but. There were parts in there that I found humorous. Did you watch the whole first season? Or? Not the whole first season. Not the whole first season. I, I spotted a few episodes. The, the last episode is the best one. The yeah. last episode of the entire uh, first? Of season one. Okay. Is okay. the best of that season. Okay. Because uh, that's the one where actually the song wasn't too bad. Okay. And it has the most entertaining like things that go on in it. But like the, the thing was that like we watched it and we were like, it, we did what we could, but we can do better. Yeah. And we liked enough of the material that we had that we didn't want to abandon it and just do something different. So we decided that we're going to learn from the mistakes we did with the first one and we're going to apply it to the second one. And okay. we're going to 
do a second season, but better. Okay. So we got a second camera and we got an external microphone. <laughs> that was the big thing. Like, it, it was so ghetto because like we didn't even have a, an actual pole. Uh -huh. We had a, a, a windshield wipe, a wipe, uh, wiping pole <laughs> that we duct taped the microphone <laughs> onto it. It worked. It worked. You extend it and, it ch -ch -ch, and there you go. It worked. Okay. Uh, it worked. That was our first sound pole. Hey, if it works, man. If yeah, it works. you do what you got to do. So I have a question. Uh, you said you didn't know what the characters were like. You just figured it was funny. Did you write the entire first season, or were you writing it as you went? Uh, we wrote the whole first season. However, like the episodes, the story would the, the essential part of the story would stay the same. Okay. But like the main reason why elements of the scripts would change was because we'd constantly get people coming in and out of the production. And because we were working with mostly, we weren't really working with many actors. I think it was only like one actor that we actually had with actual experience working with us. Uh -huh. And everyone else was just like friends and family and, and co-workers. And it was mostly the co-workers that bailed. And every time <laughs> one of those co-workers would bail, we'd either A, have to recast them, or B, write their character out and just come up with something else. So it would kind of just transform like that it was, as it would yeah. go on. The, the way we would write the scripts was, I remember it was one of your questions. Yeah. And it was similar how we wrote the second season was like, essentially, I'd write an outline for the first episode. Okay. And then I'd give it to Brian. And then he'd look it over and then like, he'd make notes or suggestions and uh, adjustments. He'd be like, okay, this is good, this is good. Yeah. Uh, leave that out, leave that out. Uh, add this, add this, this is good, this is good. And this and that, and we'd go back and forth and back and forth and finally give it back to me. And then I would write a script out based off of the notes we both agreed on. Yeah. And then I'd give him the script, the rough draft, and then he'd do the same thing. He'd look it over, make notes, suggestions, ideas, uh, this works, that works, and blah, blah, blah. And then I'd rewrite it with his ideas and notes. And then essentially we'd whittle our way to a final draft, and then that would be an episode. Okay. And that's how our process has pretty much have been. That's great teamwork. Mm -hmm. That's really great teamwork, because so, I, I did the same thing on, on my film where I would sit down, they would give me notes, and I would just go off of that. So that's, that's, that's a really great structure to have. Yeah, being on the same page with everyone is a very important thing. It's, it's one of the essential building blocks of teamwork, you know? Yeah. Like, and that's a big thing about being in a production group. It is a team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a team, like, you know, like an oriented thing, production group. Yeah. You can't do it by yourself, you know? You have to have the right pieces. It's almost like being in a band. I know? was just about to say that. It's, it's like very... being in a boy band. Well, not, I, not, okay, not, not you know what? It's kind of like being in a band, but then you're talking about like all these different components and everybody in this group that has to move right. the same way. Yeah, I think of Backstreet Boys. Okay, call me gay. I don't care. I'm not gay. I have a wife. But that's what I think of when you say, you know, a team. And you think, think Backstreet, Boys, Backstreet Boys? I think Guns N' Roses. I mean, like, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you, see, you have like producer, director. You have the uh, the lighting, the sound, uh, the camera. Yeah. And uh, whoever else is in there, it's, it's like a band, you yeah, know. Backstreet and, Boys. And, and our, yeah, Backstreet Boys. And our lineup is, uh, it has changed a little bit over time. Okay. But it, a lot of pieces have remained the same. Uh, but with the second season, oh, another thing with the people, I don't know if you noticed, with the second season as well, is that everyone was also commenting, like, it looks so much better. Yeah. Did you get a new camera? I, I've, been, I've been looking at the comment section. I'm yeah, going to get to that. Yeah. Um, uh, it looks so much better. Like, you know, did you get a new camera? I was like, no. Same camera season one, we just learned how to use it. Like, we didn't know anything, like, with the first season, like, the equipment-wise. We just hit record and uh -huh. 
played with the buttons as best as we could to try to get it to, to look, look, nice. look okay. And season two was like, we actually like took tutorials and actually talked to people who actually like had the same cameras yeah. and like, how do we do this? And how do we do that? Instead of just running, running and gunning it as we was with the first one, it actually looks considerably better in the second season. Yeah. Yes, there, there are still some patches here and there. But you can see the difference. You, you, you could see the difference. Complete difference. So we had two cameras, we had lighting, uh, very basic lighting kit, uh, but we still didn't have a solid lineup of a crew. There were okay. some days where it was just me, Brian, and one of the other actors. And me and Brian are also in the scene. Yeah. How do you do that? Exactly. <laughs> We'd have to like prop up the microphone somewhere. We have to have the, the camera like on a tripod and what, like you'd have to do what you have to do. Like, you know, you don't really think about it until you're in the field that you need more than just, you know, you need more people than mm -hmm. you think. Yeah. I mean, and especially now with, I mean, I'm not sure if you guys pay your actors, but doing these independent films, nobody pays anybody. You're just working for footage, working for real, you know, footage. So, to get people committed to that project is really hard. Yeah, lately uh, we uh, we have paid because mm -hmm. we are working with more people with actual experience. Nice. And so with that okay. comes, you know, uh, people want to be compensated. Yeah, we actually yeah. have the skill and actual experience to, you know, give That's us great. what we want. Uh, whereas in the past, it was just like friends and family and just yeah. favors, people helping out, you know. Was, uh, we were, we had less money then, you know, than we kind of do now. Yeah. But. Um, but yeah, the, the second season of that show was, um, there were times where we weren't even sure if we were going to finish it. I don't know how far you got into it. It's the first, to give you an idea, the first season we filmed in six months. Okay. And six episodes. And that's just one camera, and that's <laughs> it. The second season, we had more equipment, we had more people, uh, more characters, more locations. We're moving around a lot more. It took us like two and a half years. Two and a half years? To film nine episodes. Wow. And the ninth episode is like 40 minutes long. Yeah, uh, is that the is that the very final one? Uh, yeah, boobs, guns, and death. Yeah, <laughs> that title. Yeah, the boobs, guns, and death. I love that episode. You, There's you clickbait, it, man. It's just the best way to get anybody to click. And did you see the the the, the cover the, photo? The thumbnail? Yeah, I seen it. I that was filmed at a hot tub hotel. Great job. Hired yeah. a, hired a couple of models. So Beautiful the women. Scene. Yeah, you, yeah, you guys did it. I mean. I clicked on it, even though you sent me the link and I was going to click on it regardless, but I clicked on it faster, mm -hmm. you know, just because I saw beautiful women. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, that, that episode was just so many moving parts in there. And I think there was also, did you see the last episode? Or? I see it. I saw it. Okay, so you saw the whole warehouse shooting. Yeah, 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 yeah. The whole warehouse shooting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that we filmed at this uh, recording studio um, oh, near Garfield Park. Okay. And... Um, it's this big, like, multi-floor, like, uh, studio, and uh, it just looked cool, and, like, uh, we were mutual friends with someone that recorded music there, and he was aware that we did film stuff, and he said, hey, why don't you guys film something here sometime? And uh, we, he's also in the, the show as oh, well. Oh, he is? Okay. He's one of the characters in there. And a uh, funny story about that, ep uh, that episode with the, uh, the warehouse. Uh, you never got to see the behind-the-scenes footage, man. No. You know what? The behind-the-scenes is almost like a show in itself. Okay. There were so many things that happened during both seasons, first and second season. We were filming uh, that scene in the warehouse, and uh, our characters are, like, on the ground, and, like, you know, like, about to be executed, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, the band start playing. Because, <laughs> like, it's, it's, a, it's a recording it's studio. It's a recording studio. It's a studio. And uh -huh. then I think uh, the guy who, uh, who knew the play said that, 
before noon, there's nobody there. And then like, if you want to get our, your stuff done, try to film it before noon, because that's when the band starts showing up to practice. Okay. So we were there like eight o'clock in the morning and starting to, to film. And it was like a little past 11. I guess one of the bands got there early and <laughs> the band starts playing. And we're like, <laughs> fuck. Was it the Backstreet Boys? I'll play that. <laughs> might as well have been. All right, go ahead. So then I, I, had, I had some cash in my pocket. I'm like, you know what? Wait here. So I go and I knock on the band's door. No <laughs> And way. they open up and I'm just like, hey, I'm sorry. We're filming something. Uh, can I give you some money to not play your music for the next, Holy shit. For the next like half hour or so? And they're all like, oh. They're, I, I guess like, they, they didn't mind. I guess they're like, well, I guess. They're kind of hesitating. That I, I upped the money even more. I gave them twice as much. This much, give us an hour. Give us an hour and I'll give you this much. He's oh like, my God. Take the money, take the money. And they get the, to the lead singer. He's like, all right, fine. We need, we, need, we, need, we need to look over some stuff anyways. So I, <laughs> I, I paid him to, to, to stay quiet. <laughs> and then we got the scene done. Oh, that's funny. We finished the scene. <laughs> that is so but funny. But then there were some other moments where like, we couldn't help it. The, the bands were still playing. And so- It wasn't that band? No, it was another band. So you, did you have more money to give the other band? No, I ran out of money. <laughs> So we decided at that moment, fuck it, we're gonna have to ADR this. So we're gonna have to mute all this footage and yeah. just come back in ADR or just try to edit it out as best as we can. Yeah. And I don't think you can even tell all too much. No. No. Yeah, I think we, we learned a little bit better about how to edit with sound. That's good. Um, but yeah, our, our crew got bigger and more experienced on season two. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I'm gonna send you the, the link to see our behind the scenes Definitely. footage. Definitely, send it just. This so, is too many funny stories in there. So you're in season two, and like you said, you know, like, like you asked about the comment section, I do, I had read it, and I see you have a following. How much influence does the YouTube comments have on your season? None. None. So if they say, hey, we want your name to be Rodrigo now, like you're no. not gonna change it season three? No, I mean, the whole point of this is it's like, you gotta like what you're doing. Yeah. And, the point is to find other people that like the same thing you like. Uh -huh. If they don't like what you're doing, then why are you doing it in the first place? We're going to change it to what they want. Okay. Um, we listen to, to criticism and yeah. whatnot. We'll listen to what feedback about this and that. Do this or do that. And we'll think about it and be like, does it make sense to do on the show? Does uh -huh. it make sense for this character? If they say just you suck, and you're like, what? I'm not going to pay attention to that comment. Like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Down click that comment or remove it. I don't care. Uh-huh. But um, it's always good to hear uh, what people, uh, people uh, you know, participating and actually like uh, acknowledging, responding to yeah. something that you've done. Yeah. But as far as like you know, influencing like decisions that that we do, uh, it doesn't really hold too much, too much weight. You have to stick to what you want to do. Yeah. And, okay. But still listen to what they say. Of course, you have to keep your ear to them. Right. Um, so there's there's a lot of independent web series that actually get picked up by networks, right? Right. Um, you got high maintenance, you got, have you ever seen Fred by chance? Okay. Uh, yeah. I know of Fred and the only reason so I- So fucking annoying. <clears throat> the only reason I know about Fred is that I watched this other channel where someone was counting down the worst movies of all time. Uh -huh. And one of the movies was something Fred. called the Fred movie. Yeah. So fucking bad. And reviewed I mean, it, and then I was just like, he told me, to he, he, see the whole history of this Fred character, horrible. and I'm just like. I mean, it works for some people, whatever. Great to him that he's actually made a, a living off of that. Sure. But, you know, these web series that get picked up by major networks. If State of Disgrace were to get picked up by a major network and needed to be recast, who would it be? 
I thought about this. Okay, so and, who would play the characters? Well, I'm talking about in a fantasy world. And I'm going to tell you, like, uh, the characters that actually inspired the three main characters on the show. Okay, so they were written. Yeah, I, I was like, who... Uh, or, what three characters would I love to see in a situation where they're kind of just living together and that's uh -huh. what they would get themselves into. The, uh, the, the police guy character, the Rodney character. The Rodney King? Yeah. Fucking funny name. Go yeah, ahead. yeah. Oh, you still haven't, you didn't see all the episodes of season two, have you? No. Oh my God, you're missing out some crazy shit that happens with that's him. A, it's a lot of rides home that I gotta watch, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, the character that really inspired me for him was um, Danny McBride from... Oh, uh, that's where he fits in. <clears throat> from Eastbound and Down. Okay. Have you watched Eastbound and Down? Uh, I heard about it. No. It's awesome. Awesome. I know Danny McBride. He's fucking funny. And I thought he's perfect to be recasted in the show. I just didn't know where. He's meant to be like a little bit older than the other two. He's supposed to be like kind of like the, the guardian or the guy who kind of like just looks after it. If, if it was like the Three Stooges, he'd be Mo. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of Mo, a little bit of Danny McBride <laughs> for, for, right. for that character. For the, uh, for the character I play, uh -huh. uh, the... the, the, the the actor that I had in mind was um, Jonah Hill from Superbad. Jonah Hill, motherfucker. Okay. But young Jonah Hill, maybe yeah, not yeah. current the, Jonah. The 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 younger jo the fat Jonah Hill. The fat oh, Jonah okay. Hill from Superbad. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or the, the the Seth character. From yeah, yeah, that. yeah. That, That's kind of that very uh, kind of high strung neurotic, like you know, like <laughs> a, a very like uh, excitable, like you know, yeah, that yeah. type of character in a way. I kind of tried to be a little bit like that as well. The, the fanboy, like you know, like the child of the group. Yeah. And uh, the, the Cooper character, whose real name is Cooper in real his life. His name is Cooper in real life? His name is Cooper he's in not, real life. His name is not just Cooper in real life, that's right. Because no. in the show, his name is just exactly. Cooper. Exactly. In the show, is just Cooper. We wrote it that way. Uh, I kind of, he kind of has his own personality, but like my original inspiration for the, the character as I was writing it was uh, Chris Tucker from Friday. Okay. That does fucking spacey high. Yeah, spacey high just kind of goes along with whatever the other guys are going. Doesn't really question, like you know, like uh, even though he's probably maybe the one of the smarter of the three. Yeah, he still kind of just goes along like, with the idiotic and is like, yeah, fuck it, I got nothing, no place else to go, nothing else to do. <laughs> like I'll get. Yeah, well, wasn't he wasn't he waiting in the car while you guys get, were getting shot up in a fucking warehouse? Yes. He was listening to music. I, 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 I uh, he's listening to Backstreet Boys. Backstreet Boys. That's where I got it from. That's where I got it from. It comes from. full circle like that. Hey, see? that's where it goes. But holy shit. <laughs> so if I had to like dream, like you know, cast and like, uh, but twist time a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Those are the three guys I'd want to put like you know in the State of Disgrace show. Got it. So we're gonna move on from comedy into horror because I find it pretty cool that you know. You could not only write comedy, but you could do horror, right? And it, mm -hmm. they're both both extreme opposites, at least to me. But you know, what inspired Mr. No Face and Curtains? Mr. No Face. Well, the thing was, when we finished State of Disgrace, we had been working on that show for almost three years. I was the, about to say three years. The, the yeah, two seasons, putting it all together, and we're like, "All right, <laughs> we need to take a break. <laughs> we need to change it up." Do something different because uh -huh. we've been doing comedy for the last like three years or so and done nothing else. So let's try to do something a different genre. And we wanted to do something that was going to be familiar to us. And both me and Brian are both fans of comedy and horror films. Uh -huh. So we're like, let's do a horror film. It was a no-brainer. Like, what's the next genre that we can like you know experiment with? Uh -huh. So, Mr. No Face originally. There's no real special story behind it. I mean, like we're really what how what it was was I originally. 
was gonna like uh, branch off with uh, for for one project with uh, our sound guy Travis. Okay. And um, he wanted to do like a little horror project um, on his own. He wanted our help with it. And I met up with him. We came up with a couple of ideas, and nothing really stuck. And then I went to Brian and asked him for his opinion and advice. And I was like, "Hey, me and Travis were thinking about putting our own little thing together. What do you think?" And just casually, he was like. Here, do this. Call it Mr. No Face. It's about this guy going home from work and gets attacked by this thing, whatever. But it takes over his body, and then it ends up going home to the to the guy's wife and kids. Uh huh. I'm like, oh, okay, that works. He just came off with that. Yeah, he just... just came up with it like that, and then we just like, all right, let's refine it a little bit more. Yeah. So we wrote a whole script out. But I think uh, my favorite part about that production was the location. Okay. Because I've been to that, my, my my buddy Travis lives right around that area, that that train tunnel and the, that stop. Yeah. And um, I, I went there many times before, and I was just like, this would be a great, has a great horror, like you know, like yeah, look in there. The ambiance is right there. Exactly. And like uh, when I would uh, go up to the platform, and like uh, when I was going scouting for the the first time, I'm just like, I'm already getting creeped out just being here, so I know this is right. <laughs> And just the idea of being stranded in a place like this. Yeah. It is, does look a little isolated because there's like, just like a factory like right next door. It's another story about that. I'll get uh. into a second. And um, well, Brian came out and he, he also investigated. And by that point, it wasn't really going to be something that was going to be a spin-off idea. We decided like, you know what? We're going to do it a Raven Roulette thing. We're going to bring everyone together and have it be like a... A, a, a Travis thing. A Travis thing. Yeah. So he was still uh, involved as the yeah, sound yeah, yeah. guy. And so Brian was going to direct and edit and I was just going to be a producer and co-write. And so we, we hired the the actors. Um, it was a two day shoot. Uh, it, it, everything went pretty smoothly. Though. The weather was great. The, uh, the the makeup artist that was there, she was great. Um, we really had no problem. The only situation that happened was on the first night of shooting. We we're getting ready to set up a shot. We we're in the tunnel, and by the factory area, right near the tunnel area, we hear someone shout out on an intercom. I want to be in your movie. I want to be in your movie. <laughs> Me and Brian stop what we're doing and we just slowly turn towards each other. Like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and then we ended up having to go over and walk towards the guy. Walk towards the voice? Walk towards the voice uh -huh. in the dark. And kind of let him know what's going on and like, and just tell him that to keep it down. <laughs> and yeah, he, he was cool about it and everything. And then like, um, uh, the principal shooting happened in two nights. And then the third night, we went back just to do some pickup shots, just with like scenery and whatnot. We uh -huh. got approached by the cops that night, and they, they were just like, uh, "Oh, what are you guys doing? Just filming a movie?" Like, "Yeah, okay, have a good night." <laughs> and just left that's us it? alone. Yeah, that's it. No permit. Yeah, uh, no permit. He actually uh, just oh, wanted to make sure we weren't vandalizing the place. Oh, or anything, okay. There were vandalizing uh, vandalism reports that had happened in that tunnel all the time. He just came by and checked out to see what we were doing. He saw our gear and equipment, and he was just like, "Oh, you guys are just filming, all right? Have a good night." Oh shit! He just left us alone. And that was No Face. We had such a good time on the, the No Face uh, set, and uh, we were pretty happy with how it turned out. It, it wasn't perfect, uh -huh. but uh, it was our production-wise, it was our most satisfying product that we put out. So, what made it different than your State of Disgrace? We rented a really nice camera. Really? Yes, to do it with. We rented the. Uh, I mean, it, it's to. to some camera aficionados out there, it may not be that good anymore. We rented the, uh, the Sony A7S II. Okay. We wanted something that was going to be really good for, for low light. And Travis uh, had gotten a new microphone as well. 
so we're not we're using the the, the windshield wash, washing pole anymore. That was gone. <laughs> you upgraded. Yeah, we we, we retired that with the, the State of Disgrace show. Uh -huh. So then uh, we've got an actual pole now, and Travis got new recording gear, and that's why it even sounds pretty good. And just to wrap up, No Face real quick, and we might carry this on to the next conversation, is yeah. um, uh, one of the guys that helped us out on the third night for the pickup shots was an, a new camera guy that I just made friends with. His name is uh, Mike Jarzevic. He's okay. a filmmaker himself and is currently helping us out on our, our new project, which uh, I hope to touch upon a little bit later. He, um, he had just finished filming his uh, first feature film. Okay which is uh, another horror film, and he was going to do a premiere event at the Patio Theater. This is back in 2018. Okay. And originally, he was going to have another one of his shorts open up the show. But I, I know, instinctively kind of just brought up the idea, like, hey, you know, we just finished this project. Why don't we open up for yours, you know, instead? Uh -huh. And he thought it was a great idea, have two production groups, kind of like a play. Oh, that's and, cool. Um, he, he liked the idea. He ran the idea past his uh, producer. He liked the idea too. And we invited our friends and family, and he invited his friends and family, and we just had a bunch of people get came out for the patio. And this, that was a really trip to see your project up on a movie theater movie screen theater, for the first yeah. time. And it actually got a pretty good reception. And it were, was you, were you able to sit through the whole thing? Were you like, because, go ahead. To give you an idea how nervous I was that night, I had a drink about. <laughs> two and a half to three bottles of wine on my own. I was pacing back and forth the whole night. I was uh, a wreck. Did you sit down though? Were you able to sit down on the seat? Sit when, your ass on the seat when and I, watch the movie? When, I, from when our movie came on? Yeah. No. Ah. I was standing in, the, uh, in the entrance way. Me too. I, I, I walked all the way to the back. I didn't uh -huh. leave, uh -huh. but I stood in the archway. Uh -huh. just watching the movie from there and Brian was standing right next to me like you know we were doing that <laughs> and as soon as the movie ended that's when I, I went in you went in? yeah, that, yeah. I, I left I was just like I can't do this it's too much I couldn't I, I took a few shots and I just couldn't I just stood there I couldn't I just pacing back and forth go ahead yeah but uh, the, the, that night was so much fun I just my only regret was yeah I drank too much and then like I wasn't able to take in the, 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 the moment as yeah. much as I wanted to there were yeah. so many people I wanted to talk to and interact with and take pictures and network with but I was just too wasted you to were do just anything. talking in cursive you just couldn't do anything yeah 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 there was even uh, people that came out you know from far distances to come uh, see our thing I even had a friend of mine who came out from Boston oh shit and I barely got to talk to her that night you know because oh. I I, I was Fuck. pretty much gone. Uh, luckily, like one of my other friends was like hanging out with her most of the yeah, night, yeah. To, uh, keeping her company. She came from Boston just to. She wow. came from Boston for a day just to come check out this event, and I barely talked to her and saw her that night. Uh -huh. So I felt horrible. But um, we knew we had a, the high, you know, to to do something else after yeah. that. So that's when we went on to uh, curtains. We actually got onto curtains pretty quick. Right afterwards? Pretty quick, yeah. We finished filming No Face in May of 18. 18. And by September of 18, we started Curtains. We got into the first half of Curtains. And we went all the way out to Joliet to film that scene in this junkyard that was private. I was about owned. to say, is it a junkyard? It's a junkyard. Okay. And uh, uh, Brian's uh, boss uh, owns uh, some property out there and she let us, gave us permission to be out there. Uh, the inspiration for that is all Brian. Okay. He said he always wanted to do a, a short horror film where it was experimental, little to no dialogue, 
and I want it to be about you know a child uh, being afraid of something behind a curtain at night. Because it's something he experienced. Yeah, yeah. He, he said he, uh, he had that fear when he was younger. Every time he would use the bathroom when he was a little kid, like, you know, growing up, he was also leery. He was very leery about, you know, being in there by himself, like, two, three in the morning, and, like, you know, and just his mind would play tricks on him. So he seemed like the other curtain moving a little bit, like, on yeah. its own or whatever, like, oh, what's behind there, you know? So uh, he definitely, like, just kept on to that, that vision, that yeah. idea. And he kept on, he just held on to it. He held on to it, and then, like, uh, I put in my two cents idea wise and I'm like oh what if he wakes up as an adult and like you know yeah. it's followed him whatever yeah, yeah. so we kind of just went back and forth with like you know shooting like around like ideas like what to finalize as an actual script for the story of it uh, so the first half was done in Joliet uh, the kid that we had was actually uh, the son of one of my co-workers who had one of my jobs right oh, now nice yeah so that just worked out the way it was we had another kid but it, he didn't work out um, yeah two kids for the same uh, same role Oh, we had another kid that was cast, but okay. uh, the original one just didn't work out. But um, again, we had a pretty big crew that day. We had two lighting guys, we had two camera guys, we had the sound guy, we had me and Brian, we had a slate guy. Um, uh, it just kind of, like I said, it was kind of evolving a little yeah, bit more yeah. to like the three of us not even knowing who's going to hold the camera and the sound pole to like now to, we got to having a team. To having yeah, a team, yeah. like, you know, putting it all together. And then. Backstreet Boys. Yeah, Backstreet Boys. <laughs> So then uh, after we finished the, uh, that scene in Joliet, we took a break. And that's when the premiere at the patio for No Face happened uh, a month later. And then January of 19 is when we did the second half. And we actually filmed that at my house. Oh, your house? Yeah, that's my house. My parents were out of the country. Mm. So I had the whole house to myself. So I was like, what other better place to do it? Because we had the location right here ready to go. Mm. So I hired, I hired two more actors uh, to, to be in there. Uh, Michael Moody is the lead actor. Yeah. Uh, he's very familiar to, to many people in a lot of the uh, filmmaking circles. Yeah. Mostly for um, what he doesn't wear. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. Michael Moody, if you are listening. <laughs> Fucking Michael Moody, man. His profile picture. Oh, my pictures. God. He... Really fun guy, really cool he, guy, hey, really nice guy. I, I want to give a special shout out to Michael Moody because he is an avid uh, listener and he interacts greatly on the podcast. Shout out to Michael Moody. But fuck, I have to make sure <laughs> my wife is not buying me when I open Facebook because you might see his ass, you might see a fucking hat on his dick. But fucking Michael Moody, man. Uh huh. Hey, you know. I <laughs> It's his, it's his thing, you know, like, he's got to pay the bills somehow. Hey, it works. It works for him. It works. So go ahead. So uh, we, we finished the filming of Curtains, and then, uh, like I said, we had so much fun with the, uh, the premiere that we had for No Face. We're like, we want to do it again. We want to do it bigger. And one of my inspirations was uh, going back to, uh, 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 I talked about a little bit about Raul Colon. Uh -huh. uh, I really enjoyed going to his premiere events. And it wasn't just uh, seeing like the projects like up on the screen. It was also the uh, the networking and interaction that they came with it. Yeah. Like, you know, like and just meeting new people and like uh, it was uh, the after party sort yeah. of like thing that was going on. Was just being in a room with a bunch of people that it's networking. Yeah, just... that do what you do and like what you do. Yeah, yeah. Right? And you like what they do. Yeah. And um, I remember one event he had. He had three short films uh, of his own play okay. at the, the the music box. And uh, I just had the idea of like. Uh, mm, what if I got like two or three other different production groups, uh, film projects, and kind of have like a mini film festival yeah, instead? Yeah, yeah. 
you know, like kind of like try to maximize the crowd. They'd get their people and the other guys would get their people and we get our people to show up and then try to get a big crowd to show up. Yeah. So that's, we, I guess we launched our first film festival. That's great. As a result that's of that. That's really fucking good. Yeah, it was the Raven's Nest Film Fest. Uh, I got an investor to, to help us out with that. He, he, he pretty much covered the whole thing. And we did it at the, um, the Davis Theater in Lincoln, okay. Lincoln Square. And they were great, great, great people to work great with. Uh, very, very professional. That uh, was a decent turnout. Okay. Um, I think that one of the things that I think could have gone a little better was I think the promotion was uh, got a little uh, late start. Got it. Uh, because you guys are waiting for it to book the place. Is that what it uh, was? Not just that. I wanted to book the uh, the projects. Got I wanted it. to confirm what was going to be showing before I actually announced it. Got it. Yeah. When in reality, I probably just should have announced it. Yeah. And then worried about what was going to be showing there later. But like, you know, I don't know. It just was a bad call on my end, probably yeah. that like waiting to see what were going to be the final projects before like, hey, this is the, the event that's happening. Yeah. So we knew about this event months in advance. But, it but just, you didn't promote it until... We didn't promote it until like a month before the event. Shit. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Late I know. start. Late start. Fuck. Uh, but the, the people that helped us out with the promotion, I thought did a great job. You know, there was uh, yeah. a lot of ads that were posted on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, they really well put together. I think uh, she did a great job with the time that she had. So a uh, lesson learned, you know, you don't always have to have ready what you plan on putting out before you yeah. start promoting it. So... Um, yeah, we did that event. It was a decent turnout. Uh, again, hell of a thing seeing your project up on the big screen. So uh -huh. I can now. Did you get drunk this time? Not really, actually. No, you didn't drink a lot of wine. I had like two glasses of wine oh. before I went out. You paced yourself. I, I paced myself. I oh, a really quick funny story was that at the No Face premiere, uh -huh. um, I, I was wasted by the time I went up on stage. Oh, so, uh, you gave a speech afterwards? No, I'm getting to that. Okay. Um, Brian actually didn't really drink all too much that night. Uh huh. I don't know if he subconsciously knew what was going to happen, but he just behaved himself as far as taking in yeah. stuff that yeah. night. And um, when the producer of the other uh, act announced us to come on stage, oh. that was the last thing I remember clearly. And after that, everything was a blur. But pretty much he knew. He knew what my condition was. So he who? Brian. Brian, okay. Yeah. So he took the microphone. And he pretty much said everything that needed to be said. So, and I'm just up there like, uh, uh, so, uh -huh. so pretty much he, when he hands the microphone over to me, like oh, he pretty he much, the mic to you. he pretty much had already covered it. So whatever we needed to uh -huh. say. So I really didn't have nothing else to say after but that. But what so, did you say? Yeah, that's it. Enjoy the show, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so at the curtains premiere at the Raven's Nest Film Fest yeah. uh, uh, showing, we were on stage and the opposite happened. Like I had too much to say. I couldn't stop talking. Oh, I thought, I thought you. I thought you were gonna say that you didn't drink and Brian got shit faced. No, actually, he didn't really drink much either. We both okay. actually were pretty well behaved. Good. And um, I think uh, we. He wanted me to get a, um, a soundbite, a, a plug-in for our new project, but I just kept going on and on about curtains and the event, and then he, eventually. He just had to jump in and uh -huh. grab the mic and be like, okay, so we're also working on this. <laughs> so I got carried away because the adrenaline was going. Yeah, I yeah. didn't have much alcohol, so I didn't, I wasn't that calm. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so then uh, I guess have a little bit of time to talk about the new project before uh, we have to wrap up. Uh -huh. uh, the new project we have on the slate right now is um, a fan film based off of the comic book Chew. Chew, okay. Yes, it's, a, it's a dark 
dark comedy thriller comic book. It's been out, I think it came out like 10 years ago or so, and uh, the issue stopped like a couple years ago. And it's about this detective that gets psychic impressions of the things that he eats. Okay. And all the different, it's a very, very like fucked up out there like comic book. Okay. And a lot of, a lot of disturbing things happen, but a lot of funny stuff happens in it too. Chew. Yes, Chew, C-H-E-W. Okay. And we wanted to do this project uh, going back a few years. And we just kept putting it off and putting it off. Now nah, we're not ready for that. We don't have a big enough crew. We're not ready for it. We're not ready for it. And then after the curtains, we're just like, what do we do now? And we're like, fuck it. Well, let's, let's do Chew. We, we've had the script for the longest time. So when do you guys start shooting Chew? We have already started. Oh, you have? We're like, I want to say about 40% shot with princi okay. the principal shooting. Cool. And I will say this, it, it is the best thing we've ever shot in terms of quality, sound, lighting, acting, like just the whole production level. It is the biggest crew we've ever assembled. It's just like, we finally got that Backstreet Boy Band lineup. That is like, you know, like the- Back the, to the, the Backstreet. The, the all-star team. You okay. Know? We have a new camera guy. We have two camera guys now. Uh, one is a guy that actually I went to high school with. Okay. And he actually owns the camera that we rented for the last two shoots. Nice. And uh, uh, my cousin John, who's been our cameraman before, so we, we still had to rent a second camera. So we did that for one shoot, but then like uh, our new camera guy knows someone else who also has that camera, so we just borrowed it for a couple of shoots. Uh -huh. So he was able to like come through and help us out in that regard. So we have the quality now. Even Travis got even another microphone. It's even better than the one he had before. So the sound has gotten better. Uh, Mike Jarzebek, the director of the movie we opened up for, He's doing lighting for us, so oh, he nice. just has one thing to focus on, which yeah. is all the lighting. And we actually had, for the first time, auditions for the actors. Nice. We've never done auditions before. In person or video? In person and okay. video for a couple. Oh, nice. And um, it was a hell of a thing to be in there and have a bunch of people show up to, to come for your thing. Oh, that's a good feeling. Yeah, the good, the bad, and the ugly sometimes. Yes. Or like, <laughs> you get some people that come in there have no idea what they're auditioning for. It's like for. American Idol. Yes, it yeah. is. There was one guy who came in and literally he was invited by someone else and he had no idea what he was auditioning for. And we gave him the part and it was supposed to be this psychotic killer chef, but he's reading it like he's reading out the newspaper or something. And then we tell him what the part is and he's just like, oh, that's, uh, that's a lot to take in. <laughs> and like, you want to try again now? Like, yeah. And then he tried it again, kind of did it the same way and was like, all right, thank you. Thank <laughs> you for your time. Well, there's That's a bunch of funny. stories that have happened with Chew so far, but Chew, uh, uh, quality-wise, is the best we've done. Uh, we had a halt production for a few reasons. Okay. Uh, reason number one, we started coming up a little short on finances. Uh, two, was the weather was becoming inconsistent, and like, we had outdoor shots left to do. So I didn't want to take the chance that we were going to be like, you know, freezing our asses off outside. Yeah. And three, two of our main actors were moving out of state. Oh, shit. One, That's a big move. Yeah, one to Portland and one to L.A. But I just got off the phone with one of the actors uh, a couple hours ago, and he's reassured me we're going to find a way to get the, uh, the, 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 re the rest of the shots done. Oh, that's commitment. Uh, yeah, his name is Dan Lin. Awesome guy. I told him I'd give him a shot on, on this. I mentioned right. I was going to be on, on a podcast show. All right. Uh, what's shout his name? Shout out to Dan Lin. Rob Fury, he's the other guy who's, uh, who moved out to L.A. Okay. Uh, he's been messaging me regularly being like, hey, when are we going to film? When are we going to film? So he's definitely still on board. We're going to get it done. So they're going to come back. And there's still the, the craziest like shots haven't even been done yet. So we have a ton of planning to do when they come back. Uh -huh. In the meantime, 
uh, me and Brian have just discussed like other ideas to kill the time. We have another short horror film idea that he came up with. Uh, we're thinking about going live more often on um, uh, on our Facebook page. Okay. Um, uh, I've considered also helping out with other production groups that are out there, maybe helping put something else together for some other people. So it sounds like you're really stuck in horror right now. Horror, um, it, it's a fun genre. Are you ever going to make a U-turn back to comedy, or are you just going to stick with horror for the next few years? I kind of see us sticking to horror. Oh. And even like, uh, we haven't made a feature yet. Okay. And But me and Brian had a meeting a couple weeks ago, and... We decided that our first feature is probably going to be this one idea that we've had in our minds for a couple years now. And it is kind of related to what I said earlier about that movie, uh, Misery. Okay. It's kind of similar to that kind of concept. And I'm not going to go into any specifics about it right now, but there are potential moments for comedy to be in there. Ooh. And so maybe it's going to be like dark comedy, horror-ish is going to be the realm that we're kind of stick in. I mean, my favorite kind of movies are, are dark humor films, like movies like Fight Club uh -huh. or Pulp Fiction or like Boogie Nights. I mean, like, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of great, like, you know, humor moments, but like, they're not considered comedies by, by the stretch of the imagination. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're almost like in their own genre in a way. We're talking about curtains, right? Mm -hmm. And that's Brian, how do you pronounce his last name? Strife. Strife. That's his fear as a child, right? Mm -hmm. And translated to adulthood. Mm -hmm. What is your curtains? I was actually just thinking about this the other day, and like, I'm not the biggest fan of horror films, but I still do watch them. Um, my biggest fear is something that's always, it, when you wake up in the middle of the night to like, I don't know, go use the bathroom or okay. something, or even like after I've just watched like a horror film, it's the walk back to bed in the dark, in the middle of the night, and you feel like something is following you. Really? <laughs> yes. Following you back to your room. Did, that is my biggest fear. Did you see, there was a short film on YouTube that it was, it just went crazy. It was like, I think it was like a dark hallway and nobody was there. And at the very end, it was like a very ugly, creepy girl at the side of the bed. Mmm, sounds familiar. By the bedpost, no? Because that scared the shit out of me. I mean, it was so poorly made, but fucking awesome on timing. So your fear is the dark. Uh, I can find some solace in darkness, but like I, uh, I can be afraid of uh, what can be there. Okay. Which is why some people I ask people like when it comes to a horror film, like what do you think is scarier, like something like a ghost or something like a serial killer? Uh -huh. And for me, it's like it's more like something that you can't see that is not there. It's more what you think is there. I think is scarier than what is actually there. <laughs> You want to know what you're going up against, yeah. but like, you have no idea what you're going up against. I, I think until this day, and, and, and don't fucking judge me, until this day... <laughs> don't say clowns. No, 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 no. You know what? For a while, when I was a kid, Pennywise was my fucking... I hated him. But uh, <laughs> now it's, it's me jumping into bed and just underneath. In that little five-inch gap or whatever, you're between the bed and the floor, like somebody's going to grab my leg. I'm so scared, like a boogeyman under your bed. I kind of have that fear too. That's why I never sleep with my foot hanging over my bed. <laughs> I never. I'm always mindful not to do that. Oh my god! So well, but yeah, being followed in the dark in the middle of the night back to my room is that 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 walk is the always freaks me out even to this day. So what was your what was, growing up right? You say you you just watch horror films. What was your scariest? What was the scariest horror film that you watched? When I was a kid. 
Yeah, well, I saw some crazy stuff when I was a kid. I mean, like, and, uh, if I was a parent today, like, I'd be much more mindful about what my kids are watching. But, like, my parents, you know, they really didn't care what I watched, you know, because <laughs> me and my brothers always had the, the TV and the VCR to ourselves in the basement. So we would just rent all kinds of stuff. But um, I'm trying to remember, like, one of the movies that really stood out to me was probably Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, my God. And that's such a scary concept there. You have like, to go to sleep. You have to. Everyone has to go to sleep. Yeah. It's such a, you know, fundamental thing to do. And his face, man. I remember just growing up, his face was just like... You didn't even see his face all too much in the first no, one. Not no, no, toward, not till, towards the... Not till towards the end, yes. And people say uh, the movie that came out, I think it was like at 98, where I guess they reprised it and the face was new. Mm -hmm. They say the movie was horrible, but I fucking loved it. But yeah, Nightmare. A new nightmare, was it? I think it was a new nightmare. I never actually saw that one. It was good. It was good. Wow, you actually you I named the movie that you didn't see. Well here's the thing, Nightmare on Elm Street was is always the the series that like always freaked me out and I haven't it's only been in recent times where I actually started to kind of venture out and watch more of those films. Uh, part three, Dream Warriors, they say is, is one of the most classic ones of that bunch. And I only saw it recently for the first time and I'm just like it was actually kind of a fun movie. And I'm sitting there with my buddy, we're having some drinks, we're having some, some popcorn, whatever. Uh -huh. I'm like, yeah, this is kind of funny. You know, like, <laughs> I can get into this movie. Uh, we're talking about horror movies. How would it be like if Saw, right? You know how Saw, the whole series? Mm -hmm. What would it be like for you watching that as a kid? Because, I mean, when you, when you compare horror movies from then to now, it's much more gruesome, much more violent. Much well, the thing is that there was violent, gruesome movies even back then. I mean, like, one of the most violent, two of the most violent films I've ever seen were back in the day were uh, Hellraiser, mm. the first and second one, okay. and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. So the original and the 70s one. You don't really actually see anything, uh -huh. but it's a lot of what's implied. Uh -huh. Crazy stuff. So, I don't know, it, it, it kind of would have been very similar to what I've already seen had I seen Saw back then as well. Um, there are those horror films. The kind of horror films I don't like is when it, it just goes too far. Yeah, yeah. To the point where it's just, it's not trying to tell a story anymore. It's just trying to just throw gross, shocking things out there for the sake of it. And just like, why am I seeing this? I don't want to see this. Like, there, I mean, uh, there is no rhythm or rhyme to it, but whoever writes Saw is fucking crazy. The shit that they do over there is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. So what's next for Raven Roulette? Raven Roulette, um, I did touch upon, uh, I think, Chud. earlier. We, what? Chud. Chu. Chu. God, I, I've been pronouncing <laughs> it wrong this entire time, and you didn't correct me. Oh, maybe we should call it Chud. Well, maybe make it our own original thing. <laughs> you call it Chud, not Chu. <laughs> uh, or Chomp. You know. There you go. Uh, we're going to pick up production again in May, because we still have some outdoor shots left to do, so mm -hmm. we're going to wait till it gets warmer outside. But then again, you know, the days I've chosen, uh, I, I'm praying that it's going to be nice weather because two of our main actors have moved out of state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One in California, the other one Arizona? in Arizona? Uh, uh, Portland. Portland, okay. Yeah. Close enough. So I got to get those guys to come back. But I don't know. But uh, even on this one, like, there's always been shenanigans. I think I sent you the, uh, the behind the scenes of State of I Disgrace. I watched it on the well, way there's, here. There's always some bullshit going on behind the scenes that you can just never prepare for. Like on Chu, for example, there was. Um, uh, I can tell this story because you know, I think it's kind of funny, but very embarrassing at the time. We were filming at this restaurant on the last shoot that we had for the year, and we rented out. It was the most expensive scene that we had to film for the, for the year, and 
There were so many little things to remember to bring. There was all the props, had to coordinate with all the actor schedules, uh, all my production team schedules. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I had to make sure all the right equipment we had all set up. Um, uh, just, just everything, a lot of coordinating, a lot of phone it's, calls. It's a lot of work. And then like, I just kept remembering, I'm like, I gotta make a list, I gotta make a list of everything I gotta bring, I gotta bring this, I gotta bring that. Even like, as we were driving from my house, getting ready to leave to the city, I was like, oh! I gotta stop by the store. I gotta get a couple more things, you know. I uh, uh -huh. can't be too sure. Can't be, uh -huh. can't be too safe. So I figured I had everything and even more already set up for the shoot. Uh -huh. We're getting ready to shoot. The actors show up. Everyone's getting ready to roll. All the extras are there. And then I realized I had forgotten one crucial thing. Don't say you forgot the camera. No, no, no. <laughs> that was there. Well, I'd forgotten the main actor's wardrobe. Are you shitting me right now? Because the previous shoot that we had was around, uh, was, uh, where was the previous shoot? Yeah, it was also in the city. And uh, when we finished shooting, yeah, yeah. he gave me his wardrobe, uh -huh. which was, okay? yeah. which was uh, a white dress shirt and a black tie. Mm -hmm. Something simple, it wasn't anything crazy. Yeah. And uh, he was just like, oh, what do you want me to do with this? Like, oh, hold on to it. I'll bring it back for the next uh, shoot. So I took it with me and like I put it in a hanger and I put it in my closet in my house. Yeah, yeah. And, and then I'm there. Everyone's there and I forgot his wardrobe at my house. And I'm like, fuck. Did you go back to get it or? No, I'm just like, I'm either A, I got to go back to my house and, or I'm going to have to go to the store right now and buy yeah. something new. I'm like, screw it. It probably saved me time. I'm going to go to the store. So... I stopped by a Walmart first. I found the dress shirt, no ties. Uh -huh. So then I had to get back in my car and go to another store. I went to a Target, uh -huh. and there I found the tie. And like, I just kept getting further well, like and further. Like 40 bucks for one tie, it's so I, expensive. Yeah, I had to keep going further and further away, like, you know, from the set, yeah, like, yeah. to get the stuff. And by the time I got back, like, an hour had gone by. So I cost the set an hour of time. Oh, and it probably God. would have been the same had I just gone home and gotten the original stuff. The most crucial part. Exactly. I always leave that to the actors. When I was working on OBK, I took a shot of whatever they were wearing, continuity, saved it into a folder, mm -hmm. send it to them with the prelim uh, preliminaries. It's up to you. Bring, bring, bring the wardrobe. Can't believe you forgot the one thing. One, that was the only thing I forgot that day. And I'm just so embarrassed when I came back. He's like, here yeah. you go. <laughs> I mean, but you have a lot to, you know, you have a lot on your plate as is, so mm. it happens. Yeah, you know, that's what you have on set. You're supposed to have assistant director, a second unit director, yeah. like a production assistants, all kinds of stuff. I'm kind of like... And a all... prop master, weren't you, didn't you say you had props with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of all those people in one, in you know, one. like I'm producer, I'm the prop person, yeah. I'm like I'm the scheduling or assistant director, like it's just... I, I can't afford to bring extra people right now, so I kind of have to do all this all at once right now. Yeah. So it's, uh, I'm kind of the script supervisor too, yeah. <laughs> so I'm on set. Like I heard you, I heard you talking about the script supervisor. I heard you on the behind the scenes uh, footage where you're yelling at the actor, say this, you're supposed to say this. That shit was so funny. There was an actor there, uh, Spanish guy. He kept, I swear, I think half of the 15 minutes was him. Walking out the, the front door oh. with the gun. Oh God! I can oh, I can like, tell that's yeah, one of my that was favorite. a long night. That's one of my favorite stories. Um, again, we're 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 still kind of new with the, the whole production thing, and like we like to have a lot of fun on set. Uh -huh. And I so can tell. sometimes when we get a little too loose and have too much fun, so you know some stuff might be going around uh, shared uh -huh. and whatnot like we're drinking stuff's being yeah, cashed yeah. around yeah so we've got like to be nice and loose uh, happy juice yeah, yeah have the actors you know show them the, to relax and have a good time so that night we were filming and 
We'd gotten everything done. We had this last shot of that actor to come out through the front door, say his lines, and that was a wrap. But by the time it gotten to that point, uh -huh. he had drank so much and smoked so much, <laughs> he could not say these lines right. And he only had like one line. And yeah, he, no, it, what, what was the line? He was that he said, uh, and that's, that's how, how you leave a message in this dog eat dog, dog world. world. Now let's that's get fucking the fuck, go. Yeah. Something like that. Let's get the fuck out of yeah, here. Yeah, like, yeah. That's all he had to say. All, yeah. And he had like 15, 20 takes of him coming out the door and him just flubbing the line and flubbing the line. And we're yelling it at him. This is the line. Say this. And even Brian came out and demonstrated to him. I saw. That's how you. <laughs> one take. I'm like, just use that. That's Brian. He had to come out there yeah. to show him that. Okay, that's Rodney the, King. Do you it like. Just use that. Do it like this. Yeah. And he came out and he still screwed it up. And then like we, he got it just okay. He got it good enough. I was rooting for him right. the entire time. Like, that's good enough. Don't fuck up. Don't <laughs> like, fuck up. We're done. We're done. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the, the, that, that was one of my favorite moments on set for that. But I'm trying to think of any other behind the scenes of, of that show that stand out to me. Uh, there was... Um, Whoever was in the car with the gun, this has my doors locked. That was pretty... Oh, my that God. Was that was a from a shoot that we decided not to use. So we okay. shot the whole thing so with different actors. Uh -huh. And did you see the, the very end of it? It was probably one of the more, yeah, with the, I guess, like, quote-unquote famous people that we... The actress? We were, the, the actress? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She kept flubbing her line in yeah, Spanish. Yeah. With the aorta, or was it the aorta, or was it Ascending the... aorta yeah, was yeah, the line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, her name is Marielen Magaña. Okay. She's a singer of uh, a, a pretty popular like uh, Spanish uh, rock band. Oh, no way. Yeah. All right. Uh, Los Pecados de Maria. Okay. I don't know if no, you've heard of them or no. not. Like, they, they, no. They're really good. Okay. Uh, they haven't played as uh, as much lately. Uh, but but yeah, I, I saw her. And I'm like, ah, she'd make a great like you know female like bad guy. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, for this for this part, she played it off, man. She was awesome. That was one of my most fun shoots to do. And um, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it, there's so many things I've gone wrong. <laughs> I told you the story already with like uh, the the band we had to keep quiet. Yeah, and you had to pay them. Pay us some bribes. Either way, just, the other there was another band that was practicing and. You didn't have enough money to pay them either, so you said. No, no, no. We just let it go. And we're like, we'll ADR. just we'll just post ADR or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so, do you have any word of advice for all the you know creators out there, actors out there, screenwriters out there? Um, I need to take a sip of this before I get into that. Okay. When we started doing this. I thought to myself, there's a lot of people already doing it, and I don't always wonder why don't more people just do it? Because I talked to so many people about, like, oh, I always wanted to, to be an actor, oh, I always, always wanted to make movies, oh, but I never did, never did it, never did it. When you start doing it, you quickly realize why most people would not want to do it. Mm -hmm. Starting from the bottom. It's yeah. a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work and a lot of frustration. You gotta have a lot of passion, dedication, and love to do this. Otherwise, there's no point in even doing it. If you're trying to do this to make money, which you know, hopefully one day it comes to that. If you're trying to do this, like you know, to, to, to make money right off the bat, then then you're you're not looking at it the right way. It's got to be something you love to do, and I love doing this. And if I didn't, I wouldn't be doing it. But just, that's my only main word of advice. Make sure you have the passion and commitment and dedication and uh, discipline to do it and keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like digging for gold, you know, or digging for oil. You're going to strike something at some point. You just got to keep trying. Mm -hmm. 
and it's really easy for you know aspiring actors to get lost in that whole idea of making it big because you see these one in a million you know uh, stories of, mm -hmm. of a background actor that ended up becoming uh, Brad Pitt um, you know uh, Megan Fox all these actors that just started from the BG going into that so they think that hey it's easy but it, it's not and in the beginning you don't get paid it's really it's it's tough it's struggling it's 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 not an easy road to take you mentioned Johnny Depp uh, they can kind of circle back a little bit to Nightmare on Elm Street I, I I heard the story of how he got discovered the, he was in Nightmare on Elm Street the very first film uh -huh. and the only reason he got cast in the movie was because Wes Craven the director was going over headshots and he wasn't sure which guy to go with and he was leaning towards these other guys and his daughter was in the room and he kind of asked his daughter her opinion which of these guys do you think for the for the part she pointed out Johnny Depp this guy no and, and Wes Craven was like are you sure because you know he thought these other guys looked like they could play the part better and yeah. the daughter like no 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 this guy this is the guy you got to go with and he's like oh okay and yeah. he, he went from being killed in a bed to being crybaby to doing all these amazing you know bodies of, of work mm -hmm. wow it's just it's dumb luck sometimes yeah. it's just chance you guys you got to be at the right place time at, at the, the right place, place. yeah and you just got to keep trying to get yourself in the right place at the right time yeah so yeah keep trying do you have any special shout outs yes i do um big shout outs to uh my whole raven roulette crew uh brian strife who will be listening to this uh maybe you'll get him someday on here <laughs> Definitely. Uh, Travis Kakos, who lives in the area around here, he's our sound man. Uh, Chris Piotrowski, uh, my high school classmate, who is now our uh, uh, director of photography for, for Chew. Nice. Uh, doing a lot of hard work for us. Uh, trying to think. Uh, Mike Jarzabek, who was giving us an awesome opportunity to open up for his film Ghost Box a couple years ago. Uh, he's currently doing a lighting for us on Chew. Uh, my, my cousin, Juan Carlos Ramirez. You know, awesome guy, like uh, he's one of our camera operators. He's always been behind the scenes. He plays Officer Ramirez in the State of Disgrace okay. show. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he was on the show by accident. That's a whole other story. <laughs> he was supposed to be just a cameraman one day, and we were going to have this other guy play his part. The he, guy never showed up. Is he the up. one with a really thick accent? Yes. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. There's another actor we were going to get to play his part for the shoot that we we're going to do. He yeah. never showed up. He blew us off. Then we're like, John, you want to be in the show? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> he's always up for everything. Um, um, my friend Matt Cooper for always like being there helping out behind the scenes uh, so, uh, I'm trying to think of anyone else I can think of uh, just uh, Alex Wu writer for Chew uh, Dan Lin uh, um, Alex Diamond Rob Fury is uh, one of the, the big supporters uh, actor on Chew yeah. right now um, anyone I'm forgetting I'm sorry <laughs> yeah. should I uh, should have brought a pad you should have brought a pad with you yeah I feel like I'm in the Oscars right now like I want to thank this person <laughs> I want to thank God God number one, you got to do that. But uh, but yeah, just everyone who's just helped out and just you know just keeps pushing forward, if, uh, keeps helping us push forward. All right, man. Well, it was a pleasure to sit down and, and hear your stories and and you know your trials and tribulations. And I I hope you have success, continue success with your films. Uh, I can't wait to see Jude. Yeah, and I will keep you posted on the uh, potential next event that we do, hopefully in the fall of this year. All right, film festival. Probably another one, yeah. All right. All right, yeah, let me know. All right, for sure. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button to stay centered on all Indie Center podcast episodes. If you are an independent creator and have a story to share, 
and want to have a sit down, please email me at indycenter.podcast at gmail.com. That's indycenter.podcast at gmail.com. If you have sponsorship inquiries, I'd love to help local businesses. Please email me at indycenter.podcast at gmail.com. Until next Monday, guys. Peace.